Um, thanks for, again, being here today. We're glad you're with us. I hope you're enjoying this, what is an interesting summer. We're coming up on the last final weeks, heading back into school in a little bit. I still, every, every year, I have that back to school. Um, I'm 46 years old now, and there's not an August where I don't have that moment of, oh, oh, wait. Oh, I don't have to go back to school. <laughs> this is great. Um, I, did, I mentioned already, I'm 46, and there's a point to me telling you that. Thank you. Thank you. That's actually what the sermon's about. Well, not just about how young I look, but um, about being young at heart today. Um, I'm, I'm also a Canadian. I'm a hockey fan, so I've been watching some hockey playoffs. I was sad that the Minnesota Wild got bumped uh, Friday, I guess. Um, but I was at a friend's house watching the game earlier this week, and so he's also my age, and he's got some, he's got some kids that are about my kid's age. Well, in the intermission on one of the hockey games, in their living room, this is a hockey family, they all play hockey. In their living room, they've got two little mini hockey nets and little mini hockey sticks. And so the son and one of his friends were saying, well, we're going to play some, some shinny or some knee hockey. I'm like, I got this. And there was me and another older guy. And, we said, and they said, well, old guys against the young guys. Now, when you're 46, you have a burning desire, or anywhere in your 40s, maybe late 30s, it starts kicking in. You have a burning desire to show the young people that you still got it, right? If you ever had it, I don't know if that's the case, but to show the young people you can still keep up. Um, so I thought, and, and we don't ever let them know the next day that you can't feel anything. It takes eight chiropractor visits. You just, in that moment, you're like, I'm gonna show these teenagers what's up. So I played knee hockey, and it's on the carpet, and you walk around on your knees with the little mini hockey sticks, and, and we, we held our own, the old guys held our own. Um, I think it ended in a tie because one of the young kids had to go home. And so we made fun of the young kid. We said, oh, got to go home to mom. You know, we made fun of him. We made sure to do that. So we looked good in the moment. And today, I'm happy to say about five days later, I can start feeling my knees again. That it's feeling in the knees. Because that's the flip side of being 46. It's the painful lesson of trying to show the young people. Uh, I have a friend, who, another friend who I went to college with, who's also my age exactly. And he lives in Indiana. And he has decided at 46 to learn how to skateboard, which is awesome. And he posts videos on Facebook all the time, and he calls it a 46-year-old learning how to skateboard. And he has videos of him learning the basics from like a couple months ago. And then he, first time at a skate park or on a ramp, and then there's times where he wipes out, and then the next day you saw him with much more padding, elbows and knees and helmets. And he, I love seeing it out there because he's out there with all the kids at the skate park just learning the basics. And the kids that are there, they've got... I think they do. I don't think they're making fun of him because he's trying and he's learning. And I think a kid who sees a 46-year-old trying to learn how to skateboard, I think they have a little bit of respect. Maybe they make fun later, especially when he wipes out. But I was talking to him on the phone a few weeks ago, and I said, your videos on Facebook are the best thing on Facebook, which is not a high bar these days. But I said, it is so great to see someone in, we'll call it midlife, maybe slightly past midlife, and closer to the end of your life if you're trying to learn how to skateboard. Um, but someone who is at that age learning how to do new things. Learning how to do new things as, a, as an older person. We are going to talk about that today as we are continuing to look through the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 14. And we're going to look at an 85-year-old guy who you definitely root for. You definitely root for this guy who is near the end of his life, but he certainly is not acting like it. So in Joshua chapter 14, we're going to continue our story of the Israelites going into the promised land. 
So they crossed the Jordan River after being in the wilderness for 40 years, and they conquer the city of Jericho. We've been talking about these, and if you want to get caught up, you can go to our church website and listen to past messages to get caught up on the story. Um, But the story now is they've conquered the city of Jericho. They've conquered a couple other cities, and now they have enough of the promised land that all the 12 tribes of Israel, they start to divide up the land. This was always the plan. The 12 tribes are going to get, you know, tribe of Judah, tribe of Benjamin. They're going to get different sections of the promised land. So this is what is happening. They're starting to be given land, each of the 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes are going to continue to conquer their land and settle their land. And really, the rest of the book of Joshua, if you're wanting to read through it, the, most of the rest of the book of Joshua is a lot of, well, this tribe got this land, and this was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh, and this was the allotment for the tribe of Simeon. And it's a bit dry if you're going to read through it, right? That's real talk today. Sometimes there's chunks of the Bible that you're like, wow, this is not really inspiring. It's just a lot of names and details. That's the rest of the book of Joshua. But tucked in the middle of that is this story of Caleb. He's 85 years old. He had had a part of Israel's history about 40 years, maybe 45 years before this. This is a name that we would have read reading through, you know, Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Caleb had a part in this before they were in the promised land. Before Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Caleb and Joshua were key players and key members of this story. And so if you want, we're going to kind of go back a little bit, about 40 years earlier, and we're going to look through a little bit. We'll be back in, sorry, Joshua chapter 14 in a moment. But if, I, if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 13, a few books before that, this is the story earlier on when Caleb was a young 40 years old, okay? This is the story of when Moses, who is now leading the Israelites, this was the first time they were going to try to get into the promised land. This is right after they had escaped from Egypt. And Moses sends 12 spies into Canaan, into the promised land, the same promised land that Joshua ended up conquering 40 years later. But this is where Moses sends the spies into Canaan, and maybe you're familiar with this story. 12 spies, one from each tribe, and two of those spies, one was Joshua and one was Caleb. And after a while, the spies who had spied out the promised land, they came back and they said, well, sure, the land is great. It's abundant. It's fruitful. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Except for there's strong soldiers there. The army is powerful. There are great walls that there's no way we're going to be able to beat these cities. And so 10 of the 12 spies come back and they say, yeah, we can't do it. I wish we could, but... There's no way we're going to be victorious. And Joshua and Caleb are the two lone voices saying, yeah, we got to do it. Let's go. Caleb is the one who spoke up and says, God is with us. We got to take this promised land right now. This is the same Caleb that we're reading about in Joshua, who at the time, 40 years old, he came back and said, we've got to go right now. God is with us. He has told us we're going to get this land. So let's go. But because the 12 negative voices were spreading fear around the camp of Israel, The people turned away, and even though God had wanted them to go into the promised land then, they had said, we're never going to do it. God's brought us out here, and we're going to die. He's not going to cause victory for us. And even though Caleb and Joshua were encouraging them to be bold in their faith, to move forward, the nation of Israel rebelled, and God saw that as an an indictment on them and turning turning their back on him. And instead of anchoring their faith in God, 
the God who had promised to give them the promised land, they listen to the negative majority of the spies, and they turn away from God. The negative majority, that kind of describes our world right now, doesn't it? The negative majority of voices, and that's what won the day in Israel that day. And in Numbers chapter 14, I'm going to read a few verses. This was the first time they were supposed to go into the promised land. Verse 22 of Numbers 14, it says this. This is God talking to the Israelites after they had turned their back on him. Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Talking about the negative majority. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But then he says this about Caleb, and I love this. But because my servant Caleb has had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. First of all, this is an indictment on the people of Israel. And may it never be said of us as God's people. God is saying, all these people who saw me do all these great things, these are the same people who saw me bring the plagues on Egypt and saw me bring victory when there was no chance of victory. These are the same people who saw me part the Red Sea and they walked through. These are the same people who have seen me do these things, and yet now they're all of a sudden doubting that I can do it again. Now all of a sudden their faith is disappearing because they're listening to the negative voices. May that never be said of us who have seen God do things, who have seen God be faithful, and yet our faith somehow wilts away at at the first sign of opposition. Let's not that ever be said of us, amen? Let's continue to trust in God's mighty hand as he has done in the past. We know that he can do it again. And I love that he said of Caleb in that verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, he's not like the negative majority. He has a different spirit. And you saw those words, because he has trusted me wholeheartedly wholeheartedly. We're going to see that word translated a number of times in the story that we're going to read today. Caleb had a different spirit. So now we're going to jump back to Joshua chapter 14. Now this is after the Israelites who had just rebelled. God said, you're never going to make it into the promised land because of your lack of faith. God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. If you ever wondered why God would want them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, that's why. Because he said, all of you doubters, all of you negative majority people, you're not going to enter the promised land. And so they wandered in the wilderness until everybody, every I think it was every man who was of fighting age, so really everyone over the age of 20, had died off. And once they had all died off, except for Joshua and Caleb, that's when God said, okay, now let's go into the promised land. So this is where we are, fast forwarding to this story in Numbers, or uh, sorry, in Joshua chapter 14. Caleb is still alive. Now Caleb's been out uh, out of Egypt. He's been through the Red Sea. He's been through the wilderness for 40 years. He's now been through the Jordan River. He's seen the walls of Jericho fall down. Caleb has seen a lot in his life. He's now 85 years old. And he and Joshua are the only ones who survived the wilderness. So he and Joshua are the oldest by a lot. There's no one really close second. It's probably about 25 years older than everybody else. 
Now, they're dividing up the land, and Caleb shows up, and he speaks up, and he lays claim to some of Judah's lands, because in the verses that we just read, God says, Caleb, I'm going to allow to inherit this land, and he's going to inherit part of it. And so Caleb speaks up in Joshua chapter 14 as they're deciding to give the land out to different tribes, and I'm going to read some verses here in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. It says this, Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, And it was time for Judah to receive their allotment of land. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. So he's talking about those verses we just read before. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, one of the spies. And I brought back a report according to my convictions But my fellow Israelites, the negative majority, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There's that word again. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years in the wilderness. Since that time, he had said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I love this. Next sentence. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now that I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Analekites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, as he said. And then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, and everyone say that word, wholeheartedly. That's the story of Caleb as an old man. I love that story, right? I want to be like Caleb as I grow older. I want it to be more than trying to show up the young people at hockey or trying to learn how to skateboard as a 46-year-old. I want to be like Caleb in faith, and in inner strength, and in determination, in tenacity and perseverance. And I want our church to be full of disciples who are like Caleb, right? Who are like Caleb as they get older. They aren't slowing down in their faith, but they have a stronger faith. People who trust God more fully, who trust God wholeheartedly, and that increases as they get older, who continue to advance the kingdom, who are more likely, as they get older, to take big steps of faith. Wouldn't that be great if we were all like that? As we went through life, the older we got, the more likely we are to take a big step of faith. That would be great. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for all of us. As we get older, to have our faith increase. Because in our world, it seems like we are the opposite of that. Seems like in our world, if you're thinking about the people who are going to be have crazy faith and that go-get-it attitude and we can change the world, we think of the 20-year-olds, don't we? And those of us who are in our 40s, we think, oh, crazy 20-year-olds. They can change the world, right? Oh, wait till you are grown up and you got to pay bills and you have to adult for a while and you have kids and they need braces and all these things. All of a sudden, your hopes and dreams are dashed because this, you know, right? We've all been there. Parents, we've been there. We call it adulting, 
It's hard, and we get tired of it. And then we start to settle into routine, and we think, oh, those young people, it was so great when they had the energy of a 20-year-old, but now I've been, now I'm 45, and life has beaten me down, right? Kids, this is like a really optimistic view of your life yet to come. But we think it's the young people who are more likely to take those big steps of faith because they've got the energy and the time and they think they can change the world. And then middle age comes and we slow down and real life has set in and everything hurts. You've had a few bumps in the road. You have obligations and bills and you've gone through a pandemic or two. And then that's it and you slow down. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking that's where you're at. And there is a strong pull towards this as you move from a 20-year-old to a 40-something-year-old and then on to later in life. There is a strong pull towards that that we must resist as people of faith because the pull of our culture, the negative majority, is to always get more suspicious, get more fearful, more antagonistic, more self-centered and stingy and greedy and fearful. And we think that we need to play it safe because now we have too much to lose and so we coast towards retirement and we think retirement's going to be sitting on our front porch yelling at the kids for driving too fast on our street, listening to their loud rap music. This is kind of where we're headed, right? The pull of our society is for that youthful faith to erode away like a shoreline that year after year of just kind of being battered by the waves, it just erodes, it just chips away, it just chips away. And that's the pull of our world. So how do we push back against this? How do we have a faith like Caleb, who at 85 years old, who had seen so much, says, I'm still as strong today as I was then. Let's go. I know that you're all fearful of taking the land because there's still armies that need to be defeated. God's going to be with me, so I'll do it. Let's go. How do we have that different spirit that Caleb had to resist the culture of just pulling us towards the negative to have that faith that continues to grow, to have that faith to make us trust God wholeheartedly. Caleb was not growing in bitterness, as it's easy to do as we get older, right? And he would have had reason. He was the one 40 years ago who wanted to go into the promised land then. And then all the other people said, no, no, we can't do it. Caleb had to be the one to endure the wilderness for 40 years, even though he had faith he wasn't being punished. He had to sit there through the punishment of other people's lack of faith. He would have had great reason to have bitterness to those young people now in the promised land saying it was your dad who caused us to wander in that wilderness sort of thing, right? He would have had to endure the wilderness and there would have been great room for bitterness or just great room for, people, for him to say, you know what, I had my chance, now, I've been, now I'm 85, I'm going to let the young people do it. But he continued to grow. I'm just as strong as I was then. He continued, and here's what I want us to get, as we continue to get older in our faith, Caleb continued to be the champion of faith for the nation of Israel. He was the one who championed vision and passion for the Lord. He was the one who continued to say, let's go. Let's take the land now. At 85 years old, he's still spurring everybody on. His faith had grown. And he had this because he had a lifetime of experience. All those things that I said he had experienced. He was in Egypt. He saw the plagues. He saw the Red Sea. He saw the Jordan River. He saw the manna being provided. And all the times that God provided in the wilderness. 
because of that lifetime of experience, it's like a snowball effect where Caleb has said, look at all the things I've seen God do. Of course I'm going to trust him. Of course I'm going to be more energetic in my faith. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to grow. So for us, I think that's the key to have a faith like Caleb is to, to look back at the lifetime of experience that we've seen God do great things. Now, the problem is, for some of us, we go long times without seeing God really do anything. And that's not God taking a break. That's us not allowing ourselves to be put in a faith position where we need to see God do something, right? If we're just playing it safe in our life, we're not going to see God come through because we're not taking that step of faith. Does that make sense? God has challenged us to grow in our faith by putting Him to the test, If it's a step of generosity or a step of anything that God is telling you to do, a step of faith where you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. How am I going to provide for my family? I don't know if I can do this. I'm not, you know, I have this thing going on in my life. How am I ever going to get set free from that? Put yourself in a position where you see God part the Red Sea, where you see Him provide miraculously every day like He did in the wilderness. And then that's going to snowball, and that's going to gain momentum. And as you get older... Notice I'm not saying old. We're not old. We're just getting older. As we get older, it just continues to compound. And you have more likelihood to trust God with big things because you have a lifetime of experience, as Caleb had, seeing God move so that you can trust God wholeheartedly. So if you can't recall the last thing that God did miraculously in your life, you're either not looking or you're playing it too safe. And it's time to step out and trust God wholeheartedly. So this is the challenge. As we get older, and we're all getting older, to grow. To grow in faith. To push back against that erosion of faith and trust and optimism and joy. To push back against that erosion that just seems to be chipping away at our world. To grow so that when you are older, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, you can look back and say, I'm stronger in my faith now than I was then. I'm stronger. Let's go. Let's do the thing. You're going to be the one at 50, 60, 70 years old telling the young people, no, let's go. Look at I've seen God do this my whole life. Let's go. We're going to take this step. We're going to take this land. We're going to see God provide. We're going to trust God more than we did as a young person, which goes against a lot of the pull of our culture. Now, this is not a pace thing. If you're like me, you might be hearing this word and you're thinking, but I'm so tired, (laughs) right? But I just need a day off. Like, I can't run anymore. It's like that, you know, we're not going to be the people who are like, we're going to burn out for Jesus, right? We don't want anybody burning out. This is not a run faster, don't take a day off, don't take vacation kind of thing. This is not a pace message. This is a faith message, an enthusiasm message. It can be done at a pace that's not frantic. You can take a day off. You can have a season where you are slowing down the activity of your life and your faith is growing. It can be a season where you are saying, you know what, my step of faith for this season is going to be memorizing Scripture. It's going to be memorizing everything in this. Okay, see how I did that? See how I brought that back? Right? You might be thinking, and this, this is a very practical application. Every time we've done a Scripture memory challenge, the teenagers, their brains are like sponges, right? But we cop out so easily as older people thinking, well, I just can't memorize things anymore. Right? I just, you know, my brain doesn't work like that. No, let's grow in that. As we get older, we can decide, I'm going to grow in my Scripture memory. 
This is, can be something that can be done at a slower pace, but we're going to dive deep into the Word of God. We're going to memorize Scripture. It could be something where we, we did it this morning when we were singing, and there's a lot of times, it happened here today, and there's a lot of times in a lot of churches where as you get older, the music in church becomes more of a thing where you just kind of stand there and listen, and you're observing what's going on. The teenagers love to raise their hands and get enthusiastic about the Lord, but now I'm older and I'm tired, and really what I'm doing is just making sure I don't hold my arm up too long because then my shoulder's going to get sore, and then I'm going to have to go to the chiropractor, and I just want to sit down. This is where we get. This can be something we grow in as we get older, in our enthusiasm and joy in worship and the Word of God. We have a lifetime of experience seeing how God has been good so that we have more reason as we get older to lift our hands in worship and praise, more reason to dive into God's Word because our faith is growing. We are trusting Him wholeheartedly, and that continues to compound as we age gracefully and joyfully, right? This is the challenge of Caleb. This is the story of Caleb. It's not a pace thing. It's an enthusiasm and life and priorities and optimism thing. It's a tenacity thing. So at Homestead Church, we've said this a number of times. Different generations, and I love that we have different generations in here. My favorite thing is when I look out at any event and I see kids, parents, grandparents, all doing faith together. I love that. That is a value of our church because it adds so much value to our church. There is nothing greater than someone who is older in the faith coming alongside of someone younger in the faith saying, hey, let's go, youngster, let's go. I've got faith. I'm stronger in my faith today than I was when I was your age. I've seen God do these things my whole life. And it's not just a youth pastor thing. It's not Stephen and Brooke's job to instill faith in our young people. It's not Stephanie's job to teach our kids about faith. I mean, they're going to do that, right? I mean, it kind of is their part of their job. What I'm saying is that's not the only voice in your kids that are going to do that. We as parents, we as the next generation, I loved last summer when we were having family kickball nights when we had kids and there was other dads who were like challenging kids and teaching them and rubbing shoulders with them and bringing them alongside them. There is value in the older generation spurring on the younger generation. Amen? This is why we do this. The older generation should be the faith leaders. The older generation shouldn't be the ones saying, oh, I remember when I was your age. I used to be optimistic too. You know, it shouldn't be like that. But this is what happens in a lot of churches is that the focus is more on the young people. And the old people, it's just an under, understanding that, well, you're just supposed to, you know, watch and fund. You're supposed to pay for stuff and watch the young people have fun in church. There's a lot of churches that do that, and there is nothing wrong with the younger generation in prioritizing ministry for young people. That's what we want to do. But it is not a spectator thing for the older generation. We need a heart like Caleb, a faith like Caleb saying, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. This is not just about funding the church and complaining about the volume during the music time at church as we get older. And this is not taking anything away from young people in leadership and young people being on fire and full of faith and vision. But I want that faith of a 20-year-old to increase as we get older, just like Caleb's did. Caleb, who had greater faith, greater trust. And if you read on the next couple of chapters, Caleb, who at 85 years old, led his people to conquer his allotment of land. Those enemies that were so strong and fortified, Caleb, 85-year-old, said, let's go, let's do it. With God's help, we're going to do this. This was the strength of his faith. Amen? So we can do this. 
For those of us who are 20, I want you to know your faith can grow. For those of you who are 12 and 15 years old, your faith can continue to grow. Don't look at your parents and thinking, man, they're just miserable all the time and thinking that's where I'm headed. No, (laughs) your faith can grow. And the reason we're tired, kids, is because of you. Just so you know, you're to blame with your braces and your soccer practices and all the things. We love you. I'm just joking with you. Your faith can continue to grow. Here's Caleb at 85 years old, stronger in his faith than he ever was. That's where we're all headed, whether you're 10 or 85 right now. There's always more to grow. There's always more to do. God has a plan for your life. One final thought as we wrap up today. The story of Caleb in Joshua shows us great respect and honor between the generations. It shows great respect and honor between the generations. The young people of Israel showed great respect for Caleb. Caleb showed great respect for the younger generation. Our culture is increasingly antagonistic towards differences. We've certainly seen it racially speaking. We certainly see it politically speaking. We see it from time to time as far as men and women. Democrats, Republicans, different races. And now increasingly I see it with suspicion between different generations, right? If you're older like me, you look down and you think everyone's a millennial even though nobody really knows what a millennial is. It's just a term that we say for young people, right? Oh, those millennials, what are they, you know, they, they don't, can't make a decision and they just expect a trophy every time. You know, we see that. And then young people look at old people and it's just boomers and Karens, right? It's just that's what you think of <laughs> with old people. There's just an increasing suspicion being antagonistic towards the generations. We don't see that in this story. And I don't want to see that ever in our church. I want the generations to have respect and honor for others. Young people, you look at the old people in the faith, and we have respect for them because they've gone before us. There's a lot of older people who have done a lot of work making this church happen. There's a lot of older people of the faith who give money so that the youth can have events and the youth can have these things. There's a respect there. But older people, Caleb generation... We respect and honor the young people and say, let's go. You have young faith. We want to foster that. We want to encourage that. We want to see that grow. Youthful energy meets old seasoned faith, and we combine that to see God move mountains. This is how it works. This is how it worked in Joshua. The potential when the generations unite together is so great. So older generation, we are going to pour into the young people, and we're going to respect them. And younger generation... We're going to respect the previous generation. But here's what I found about young people, is if there's an older generation that's still on fire, that's still like Caleb, like, let's go. Let's do it. If there's an older generation that's still on fire in worship, in generosity, in service, in taking steps of faith, the young people have no problem respecting that, right? If it's an older generation that's ready to go, the young people are like, yeah, we can follow that. Let's go. So whatever age you are, We're going to acknowledge other generations. We're going to honor them. We're going to encourage. We're going to lead. We're going to grow. Older generation, we're going to mentor. Not just your kids, other young people in the church. Let's bring them alongside and say, hey, here's what I've learned. Hey, here's how we do this. Hey, let's grow together. Let's go. Let's see God do this. Because no matter what age you are, you're not done with God. No matter what age, and if you've felt like you've disqualified yourself, you're not done. God's got stuff for you to do. Look at Caleb, 85. God said, let's go. Let's conquer the land. You're not done. So I want us, whatever age, to continue to grow in our faith, in our joy, in our worship, 
in our Scripture memory, in our enthusiasm for the things of God. And as we see God provide, we're just going to add that to our lifetime of experience, seeing God do great things. Amen? We can do that. This is what I want to be the fruit of our church. God's not done with any of us, so let's find an opportunity to grow and to see Him move. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can look in these old stories, the stories of the history of Israel and these uh, people that were Your people and the stories that You have provided for them, the ways that You have been miraculous for them, and we, we draw strength and hope and faith today because You are the same God, the same God who provides and moves miraculously, the same God who tears down walls. So, Lord, our faith, we want it to grow. And so I'm praying specifically today for some people here who have just kind of grown stale in their faith. And maybe there's people here that faith, they're just still checking it out, and that's totally great. But for the people of God, the followers of Jesus, if we have grown stale and complacent, just sitting on the sidelines observing, thinking, oh, we'll let the young people do the work of faith. Lord, convict us, stir our hearts, stir our passions and our enthusiasm for the things of God. We want our faith to continue to grow so that at the end of our life we can look back and say, I got more faith now than I ever have because I've seen you move mountains continually in my life. Help us to put ourselves in positions of faith where we need you to provide. We need you to come through. We want to be bold. We want to be joyful. We want to be trusting you wholeheartedly. So do that work in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen.